Welcome to On Spec. I'm your host, Fariba Nawa. On Spec is one of the few podcasts offering independent, fact based audio journalism from the field. You're going to hear stories from different parts of the globe. This season, we're focusing on migration, climate change, and today, we're going to take a deep dive on press freedom. Across continents, governments are becoming more authoritarian. No, I'm not going to give you a question. I'm not going to give you a question. You are fake news. Go ahead. One of the first casualties is freedom of expression. Strong men are vilifying journalists as they fill the airwaves and internet with fake news to replace truth. I am not surprised that your articles are also fake. And since we're based in Istanbul, it only makes sense to start in Turkey. The ruling government has jailed more journalists than any other country. Özge Sabzeci has done a lot of reporting on this issue, but this story hits home for her because she's Turkish and a photojournalist. Hey Özge, how's it going? Hi Fariba, I'm super excited to be part of this cool podcast. For the listeners, we are enjoying the Istanbul breeze today. It's the beginning of the fall season. But when I enjoy all this stuff, I'm thinking about people who can't, like my journalist colleagues who are in prison. I understand. Um, foreign journalists don't have to deal with the same risks. How did Turkey become the largest jailer of journalists, Özge? The government here was already jailing the opposition press. But after the 2016 failed coup, it seized on the chance to shut down whoever they didn't like. Yeah, and the Turkish government and most people in Turkey believe Fethullah Gulen and his religious organization were behind the coup. Gulen is an exiled Turkish preacher living on a secluded ranch in Pennsylvania, and he denies direct involvement in the coup. A perch followed, but reporters were swept up in the perch. More than 100 journalists are in prison. Some of them have been detained without charges for a year. Some face life sentences. But how can a government just throw innocent reporters in jail? The Turkish government says some media outlets are mouthpieces for terror groups and therefore have to be stopped. I, I got this other number the other day, 120 plus. Let's listen to a clip from BBC's Hard Talk between the host and Gunnar Aybet, who is President Erdogan's senior advisor. So what is the figure you're going to give me? Because we can then match it against what the independent international investigators are saying. There are, the numbers are flawed because there are different... How many? No, there are different numbers coming from... How many journalists are in prison today? There are no journalists in prison today. No journalists. Because so all they're of these not. organizations, the World no. Press Freedom Index, which no, right but let, now let me has just finish. You don't ranked. let me finish my answer. Well, that was there, your when, answer. I, when I said there are no journalists, there are no people convicted of journalism for what they've written or what they've done as journalists. 
They are convicted under ah, other so you're crimes. you're telling me there are dozens and dozens mm. of journalists in prison, but all of them They're are in prison for reasons entirely unconnected to their professional lives. Yes. And you yes. expect me and the international community to believe that? Well, that's up to you to believe it, but that's the fact. See, Activists say most of the accused are simply reporting news, critical of authorities, and that free speech is in danger in Turkey. They can take people to court with lawsuits for insulting the president or your social media posts. So even if they can't get journalists for breaking any laws, they can bury them in legal fees. What was it about this subject that's so urgent for you? Because when we were talking about doing stories, um, you wanted this to be your first on-spec contribution. I wanted to start looking at our situation as journalists and how young journalists are trying to survive in this harsh media landscape. Have any of your friends been jailed? Yeah, they were. And you will hear from them in the story. Özge is going to take us inside the battle for the freedom of the press in Turkey. I met Pelin Ünker's house with her family on what could be the most crucial day of her life. She's an award-winning investigative journalist, known for her work. But that's the problem. When Pelin discovered some truths about Turkish government officials, they accused her of defamation. And so today, in an Istanbul court, she's on trial for journalism. <laughs> Pelin says goodbye to her toddler son Ali and her mother, and we start walking to the courthouse, a 15-minute walk from her modest apartment. Pelin seems calm, but anxious. I'm not trying to think about the court case because I have to continue my life. Pelin plays down her anxiety. She's even wearing a casual Friday t-shirt for her court appearance. It's important to put on a brave face. Today, the judge will give the verdict. If the verdict is guilty, she could go directly to jail. Hani bunu hak edecek ne yaptın? The only crime here is my reporting. I didn't do anything except report the real news. Pelin was a finance reporter for Cumhuriyet, Turkey's oldest and one of the most respected newspapers. She reached out to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. That is the group that uncovered fraud and tax evasion in the Panama Papers. This week, fear and loathing in tax havens. We're taking a look at the Panama Papers. Behind the headlines of who's hiding what amounts of money where lies a That was a groundbreaking investigation that exposed ties of prominent political leaders and businessmen around the world. In 2016, 
the consortium was doing Paradise Papers, a new project looking at companies involved in offshore investments. Pelin joined the investigative group, and her job? Probe into Turkish officials' money trail. She got access to hundreds of thousands of pages of data. When I was working on Paradise Papers, I was officially on maternity leave. But I was working from home and my baby was with me as I research. He was like my teammate. After weeks of sifting through documents and bank records, she found the smoking gun. My first reaction was, oh, they are also here. I was surprised. It was the first time I found something about politicians. The politicians were some of the most powerful people in Turkey. Former Prime Minister Binali Yıldırım, the Finance and Treasury Minister Berat Albayrak, and his brother Serhat Albayrak. Berat is also President Recep Tayyip Erdogan's son-in-law. His brother Serhat runs the Albayrak business empire that includes media companies producing pro-government news. Pelin uncovered that they were using tax loopholes to invest in Maltese companies. It was nothing illegal, but morally questionable. Why couldn't they invest money in Turkey, the country they were serving? It was clearly a way to evade Turkish taxes. She asked for their side of it, but they didn't respond. After the report was published globally, Yıldırım defended himself in a press conference. He said he didn't do anything wrong. His family work and own businesses in many countries without problems. There's nothing hidden about it. They're trying to create the perception that I'm doing something clandestine by printing my photo in the newspaper. Then the powerful politicians Pelin had exposed brought a criminal lawsuit against her. But that wasn't all. They wanted eight to two thousand dollars in damages and sued for it. Sada Bajan, a leftist Turkish singer. It might sound like an upbeat song to you, but her words run deep. And her message? Write, journalist, write. She sings about the virtue of speaking truth to power, something Turkish journalists have been trying to do throughout their history. But at a cost, assassination, imprisonment or exile. During their struggle, journalists have managed to find ways to report the news. Şimdi düşünüyorum. 
Now I'm thinking, who do I serve? What do I serve? Everyone is living a lie. Our audience would curse if they heard the news. Even those in the position of power don't believe this. Why do these people keep lying to each other? It's so weird to me. This is my journalist friend Selma. And this is how we used to vent to each other after a long day of work through WhatsApp. I produce news, but it can't even be called news. Then I roam around presenting myself as a journalist. I'm in hell. When she worked for a pro-government media agency in a conservative part of Turkey, Salma's conscience bothered her. She felt like the information she gave was just propaganda. There are red lines now to what journalists can cover fairly here. The Kurdish issue, corruption, Gülenist. These were one subjects that Selma could report on. But after the botch coup, you can only talk about these groups as the enemy. As I said, you start to self-censor. Since I have worked in places like this before, I know what their weak points in their red lines are. After a while, you behave according to what they want. Several months ago, Salma quit her job and became a freelancer. But she is having trouble getting assignments. The government has co-opted nearly every independent media outlet. Still, if you look hard enough, you can find independent journalism. And journalists who push back on the government narrative find dark humor as a coping mechanism. I think the reason why there is humor in the Middle East is so we don't go crazy. There are too many serious things. I caught up with one of my photographer colleagues who spent six months in an Istanbul jail. Chada Erdoğan is 27 years old. Obviously, he's not related to President Erdoğan. They kept me in prison for six months with false evidence. I think the most beautiful people from Turkey were in prison. Academics, lawyers, journalists, people who are doing good, were all in prison. In that sense, prison was a good time. And when my lawyer visited me, we joked on whether I had better company and safety in prison than outside. Kadash was found guilty of spreading propaganda about the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK. But he was released on probation after six months. The PKK has been declared a terrorist organization by many countries, including the United States. They've been fighting the Turkish government for Kurdish autonomy for decades. Çağdaş denies the charge. He says his only crime is being a journalist and a Kurd. He was strolling in an Istanbul park when he saw that police were checking people's IDs. It's kind of normal to do that in Turkey. When it was Çağdaş's turn, the police took his ID, but also checked his phone. The police looked at my Instagram account and there I had photos of Warzone that I took in southeastern Turkey. 
When he asked what these are, I mentioned that I'm a journalist. But having those photos is enough for him to become suspicious and accuse me of, in quotes, being a member of a terrorist organization. Çağdaş is from Muş, in southeastern Turkey. He had to move near Istanbul when his family's village was burned in the fighting in the 1990s. He became a photographer to document the Kurdish struggle. He produces haunting images of Turkish minorities. His book, titled Control, is a photographic journey through the night in Istanbul. He shot sex workers, dogfights, gun violence and armed conflict. Jail for many Kurds, including Çağdaş and his family, is part of life in Turkey. He and his father were in prison at the same time. They wrote letters to each other. And throughout, Çağdaş dealt with his pain by joking. I was making fun of myself a lot in prison. With myself, with the situation we are in. One day, the prison guards refused to give Çağdaş his own book. He said, Çağdaş Erdoğan, you have received the book title Control. I said yes. He said, we got the book, but we can't give it to you right now. I said, why? The guard said the book had obscene photos of nudity and Kurdish separatism. Çadash said he's the photographer who took those photos. His lawyer objected and the prison agreed to hand over his own book with one condition. They tore all the obscene and political conflict photos one by one and gave me the book only 5 to 10 photos left. In other words, Control also had the Silivri Prison edition. So where can Turkish journalists publish their work freely? The evolution of digital and social media brings that hope. It opens a new space for us, even for those in exile. Yet, for the ones who stay in Turkey, like Pelin, it's just getting riskier. I shouldn't get a jail time or fine, but since I lost my hope in the justice system, I don't have any positive expectations. We reached the Chalayan Courthouse, the largest in Europe. Journalists are not allowed to record inside the courts, but I join Pelin and sit in the back. I feel nervous for her. Her friends and family here are waiting in anticipation. After 10 minutes of arguments, the judge gives the verdict. Pelin was acquitted on a technical error after a year I'm surprised, but happy. <laughs> this is what should have happened. A month later, the court dismissed her for the case Yildirim had filed against her. She continues to work as a journalist for the German press. Pelin says she's not banned from leaving Turkey, but she would rather stay and fight back. 
hayatını hiçbir şekilde değiştirmek istemiyorum çünkü. I don't want to change my life in any way. I love living here. I love my country and I want to raise my son in his own country. Bir de Türkiye'de dul kalan dullara da yaz yaz gazeteci yaz yaz yaz. A free press in Turkey is something people still have to fight for. It is a privilege, not a right. The emotional toll is daunting to some of us. A constant fear of waking up in a jail cell, not being able to do what we love, to make the invisible visible, to tell the truth. But this is how we keep going. This is Özge Sebzeci on Spec in Istanbul. Welcome back to On Spec. We're speaking to journalist Özge Sebzeci about her story on curbing press freedom in Turkey. That was powerful and poignant. What was it like for you emotionally to do this story, Özge? It's hard to cover these issues, Fariba, because it's a part of me. They are my colleagues and friends. And emotionally, seeing them go through this is very difficult. You know, it's scary being a journalist here. You can get labeled as a spy or a terrorist too easily. I understand it's a hard thing for local journalists, but I see you guys keep working. It's pretty amazing. We're living in the era of heightened propaganda and misinformation to change mass opinion. How is the propaganda used in Turkey? Is it just the government or from all sides? Statistics show that Turkey ranks high in spreading fake news. It's not just the government, but it's mostly from the government. Political polarization is increasing, and at the same time, media freedom is decreasing. The uneducated and poor people are most vulnerable to this. And when you look at the pro-government media, you see a very different image of Turkey. It's like everything is going well. We really have no problems. We are the best country in the world. Was it always this bad in Turkey? Weren't journalists long revered? I mean, how did it come to this? They took to the streets in their thousands. Just hours after Franzink was killed, this crowd marched through Istanbul in his memory. Being a journalist has always been a risky job in Turkey. And it has a bloody, bloody past. In the 1980s and 1990s, many prominent journalists got assassinated. Avdiyepeci's murder is a tremendous loss, not just to the press in Turkey and to Turkey itself, but to journalism internationally. Yeah, I remember in the 1990s. I was in college back then, but you were just a kid then. Do you remember it? Yeah, sure. Of course I remember it. But, you know, I also don't have a Kurdish background. And back then, you know, being a journalist and a Kurd on top of that, like, was like double trouble. But back then, leftists, conservative people and religious folks were also targeted. The oppressed party, uh, when in power, uses the same tactics. We need press freedom for opposing voices in this country. We should be able to express our disagreement. Even against all of this violence, journalists persevered. And in some ways they were respected, right? 
right, like journalists were revered, but at the same time, Turkish people didn't never really have quality journalism because we never really had this strong tradition of independent newspapers. It was more like individual journalists who were brave enough to go after the truth. At least now the AKP isn't killing and torturing journalists like their predecessors. It's on a much lighter level, I would say. I mean, that's a dark silver lining, I realize. The red lines were somewhat different then. Who owns the media? I mean, that has a lot to do with what the red lines are, right? In the past, journalists founded and owned newspapers. And they made money from the advertisement. And the old guard usually just worked in the media. Today, like 90% of the mainstream media is controlled by the owners who are close to President Erdogan. And these media institutions are also part of like bigger conglomerates, which run other companies in construction, energy, mining sectors. What about citizen journalism? Well, when there is pressure, of course there is resistance. In the last elections, for instance, like we have seen some good examples of citizen journalism in Turkey, especially on YouTube. Uh, individuals not linked to any mainstream media outlets go out in the streets and talk to people about elections and they get different viewpoints that we are not able to see in the mainstream media. This is exciting for me because people are experimenting with the new and alternative mediums independently. Viewers also follow the news on the social media rather than in the television. What about investigative reporting, like what Pelin was doing? I see limited good examples of investigative journalism like Pelin did because it's simply too risky, time-consuming and needs a lot of money. And few organizations support these kinds of projects. Also, not a lot of people are interested because it doesn't fit their narrative of Turkey. Turkey is also a place for a lot of foreign journalists. Istanbul is sort of a a hub for foreign journalism. Do you want to tell us about that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the irony is for people coming from more authoritarian countries, uh, Turkey is relatively a safe place. A lot of Arab journalists, like whether Syrians, Yemenis or Egyptians, who are exiled from their own countries, are based here in Turkey now. And most of them are free to report what they want about their part of the world. Journalist Jamal Khashoggi was killed and says his last words were, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. The source says Except for Jamal Khashoggi and other Syrian journalists who have been killed as dissidents here. Also, many of the Turkish journalists have been freed, like Pelin, after their trials. So that's good news, right? Yes, but why harass them? Why jail them? Why make them spend so much money on lawyers and trials and take their time? Journalists became the news these days, but they should rather make the news. I can hear your anger on this. And I'm just wondering, what are the risks for you for reporting and airing this story? I'm not sure, but there has been a lot of international media coverage on press freedom. And of course, the English press has more leeway to criticize. So I'm just going to take this chance because as young journalists, we have to. Thank you, Osgay, and thank you for listening. 
Join us in two weeks on SPEC and we'll take you to Iraq, where a water crisis brought down a government. On SPEC is produced by a team of journalists across the globe. This episode was edited by me and Elisa Resnick, produced by Oscar Durand and music by Sean Carrier. Voiceovers by Gökçe Eshik, Omar Farouk, Nushin Ayubi, and Alex Tilimpeth.